Well, good morning, everybody. For those of you who I have not met yet, uh, my name is Ryan Mobley, and uh, I am honored to be a part of the Calvary Church family for about this past year or so. And uh, I also have the great, great privilege to be able to share God's word with you all this morning, which I'm very, very thrilled about. Um, I know you guys have heard me speak uh, about the work that I do, the ministry that I help uh, work with called Safe Families for Children. Um, I'm going to talk about that about this much today. Uh, instead, we're going to talk about really what God says about us being um, practicing hospitality is really what we're talking about. I have to admit, this is kind of weird for me to be here right now without a guitar in my hand. So if I start doing this, just kind of ignore it, you know, it's just kind of habit, you know what I'm saying? So here's what I want you to do. Please grab your Bibles if you have a Bible and open up to the book of Matthew, chapter 25. If you don't have a Bible that you can open on your phone or, or uh, phys physically, um, the verses are on the screen as well. So please stand and let's uh, read God's word together today. Matthew 25, Jesus is speaking and he's talking about what's going to be happening at the end of the age when God brings all people before himself. He separates those on his left to those on his right. Those on his right are the ones who are going on to eternity in heaven. And Jesus says this starting in verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer to them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these of my brothers, you did it to me. It's the word of the Lord. Let's, let's pray together as we go before him today. Father God, we are so thankful for you. We're so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful for the life that you give us. We're thankful for this church, and we're thankful for the gift of your word in which you have revealed yourself to us, and you give us direction. You give us the way to life. Lord, I pray as we spend some time just looking into your word this morning, Lord, that, that we will be overwhelmed with your love toward us, that we would really leave this place and make a significant difference in the, in the lives of those around us because of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Fantastic. Can you guys grab a seat? So um, just to give you a little bit of background. So Safe Families for Children, the ministry that we do, it's built on the whole idea of mobilizing the church to bring in children to stay in their home while the parents kind of get back on their feet. And we provide, we provide supportive relationships for that. Okay? Uh, so we're helping keep kids safe, helping keep kids out of uh, the child welfare system. We're helping to strengthen families, share the love of Christ with them, give them hope. That's kind of the, that's the ministry that we do. Okay? It's to mobilize the church to care for those who are vulnerable in our own communities. Now, there's two main principles that Safe Families are really built on. 
It's built on this principle of compassion, being moved with compassion, helping someone in need, and also this idea of biblical hospitality. Hospitality. Now, hospitality is a word that we have really lost, I think, in today's day and age. Because if we're all honest right now, when we hear the word hospitality, some of these pictures come to mind. Like this first picture here of Martha Stewart. Okay? We, we think of hospitality and we think of Martha Stewart. And we think of entertaining and putting out the best and, and all that goes along with that. Or sometimes we think of hospitality, we think of the, the grand spread at Thanksgiving or some other holiday meal, right? Where you spend hours upon hours upon hours preparing and presenting. And then by the time meal is served, you're already exhausted, right? Or sometimes we even think of when we come to church, right? And we all walked in today, whether through the main doors or through the doors that come into this room, someone's saying hello, someone's shaking your hand, someone's putting a piece of paper in your hand, okay? And we, th- and we think like this greeter ministry that we have is, uh, is what we think of with hospitality. Or it could be those of us who travel for business or when we go on vacation and we go to this great hotel, you know, and we're getting served and everything is great in the room and, and we think of the hospitality industry or, or for those of us maybe who have grown up in church and more traditional, ser- traditional types of churches, you know, we always have the, the cookie and the punch committee, right? And it's their job to, to do hospitality on Sunday mornings at local churches. So I think when we, when we think of hospitality in today's world, we really empty out the true deep meaning of when we read hospitality in the Bible as to what God said it is. You see, ancient hospitality, biblical hospitality, is about opening up your heart. It's about opening up your lives. It is about opening up your homes to those who are in need, to those who are vulnerable, to those least of these. You know, we read these verses in the Bible that talk about caring for the orphan and caring for the widow and caring for the sojourner. You know, we, we see these often in Scripture. And while it does mean specifically care for those people, really what the Scripture is getting at is you are to care for, we are to care for those who are vulnerable in our society. Because as Jesus taught us in Matthew 25, which we just read, which we just read it's really caring for the least of these. And he really... Um, He talked about all these different ways, you know, the stranger being welcomed in, the sick, those in prison, the least of these. And we need to understand this as well, that hospitality was a key strategy of how the early church grew and how the early church lived its life daily. The early church exploded. The first five centuries of the church saw exponential growth throughout the known world. And hospitality was a key way that they did that, of really coming alongside and loving those that society discarded. Whether it was saving babies who were born sick or born deformed, and they would rescue them from the trash pile. To those who were, you know, that we see Jesus loving, that all the Pharisees said, you shouldn't hang out with that person, you know, the drunkards and the prostitutes and people like that. No, that's who the church ran after because they are the least of these. 
And they had hope and through Jesus and their lives became transformed because the church practiced hospitality to them. When you read your Bible, you know what? An interesting thing is this, a requirement for church leadership is that they are to be hospitable. You find that kind of odd? Why would a church leader be required to be hospitable? Well, because their job is to set the pace for the rest of the church and show them what that looks like and show them what it means to engage those. It's an evangelism. Really, strategy is what it is. It's a lifestyle. So hospitality is vastly important to the life of a church, to the life of a Christian. Okay? Now, here's the thing, too, with hospitality. I just showed you a bunch of pictures of what common perceptions, or maybe we should say misconceptions, of hospitality is. But the truth is, you cannot take a snapshot of hospitality. If you can take a snapshot of hospitality, it's not fully hospitality. Hospitality is a story to be told, is what hospitality is. Stories like a mom who has a few kids and living in a transitional shelter, trying to get her life on track. And she's working hard and in there for months and being encouraged by the staff, and she needs to go into the hospital and having another child as she's trying to break some cycles. But she's living in a shelter, so who's going to take care of her kids while she's having birth and recovering from that? Well, the church has an opportunity to care for those children and practice hospitality. You know, or a single mom who has, has three children and, and uh, is working a job, working really hard, but, you know, life is expensive. You know, and single, being a single parent is difficult. And bills are piling up and she ha- wants to move into a new place, and, but she has a, an electric bill that she has to pay off before she can get new service turned on, but she can't save enough money because she has to pay for childcare for her kids. What can she do? I'll tell you what, well, the church can come alongside her. So, you know what, we'll take care of your kids. We'll, we'll support you while you save some money up. These are stories of hospitality. These are stories of hospitality that are happening right now through, say, Families for Children. Those are a couple different situations that we're working with, our volunteers are working with. But I want you to think of a time that you have been in need. A time that you've been in need. That you felt overwhelmed, that you've maybe felt alone, that you felt you, you just couldn't get through this time on your own. And someone came alongside you and supported you and opened up their heart and opened up their life and opened up their home, perhaps. You know, my story is this. Uh, we, this, is about our, this is our 10th anniversary of living in Springfield. I moved to Springfield with my family about 10 years ago, and we, we planted a church here. Okay, so we kind of came here as missionaries. We moved uh, from a few states away and come here and started a church and really didn't know anybody. I kind of knew maybe about six people that were kind of interested in this new church idea. Okay? And so we came down here with really not knowing anyone. And I came down a couple weeks earlier than my family did. Dawn, we just had three children at the time, and she was pregnant with our fourth. Um, you know, so we used to joke, you know, we were typical church planters. We were poor, we were pregnant, and we were planting. So that was the, the three Ps of our life back then. And, uh, and uh, I came down here, and my job was this. I'm going to find some work to supplement my income. 
and I am going to find us a place to live. I had two jobs to do, okay? And so this other little church in town had this converted office space that they were allowing me and said my family could live in as we needed to. But and let me clarify, this is a converted state office building, okay? And um, it was an office building. It wasn't an apartment. So I get there, and I'm, I'm a little challenged myself as a, just a guy there. And I'm like, okay, i got to get out of here pretty quick. And, uh, and then, you know, my, my wife comes down a couple weeks later and saying, okay, i got the kids. We're leaving your mom's. Where am I going? And I said, well, I don't have a place yet, but we can come here and, you know, we, we get somewhere. Somewhere's about to open up. She gets there, and it was hot that week that she arrived. I mean, it, you know how the last couple weeks have been? Heat index is like 110, humid, just crazy. That air conditioner was working so hard in that little converted office space. There was a soffit up in the corner, you know, that had can lights coming down and where the ductwork was running through, and it was sweating so bad there was water literally pouring through the light fixture in this soffit. My wife's like, we are not staying here. And I said, oh, 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 okay, honey, where should we go? Well, one of the families that was helping us start this church, um, some dear friends of ours, Dave and Michelle, and uh, when we, whenever we would visit down here, we would stay with them a night or two, okay? And, uh, and so she's like, you call Dave right now. I said, yes, dear. And so I called Dave. I'm like, Dave, Dawn won't let us stay here. You know, I'm trying to blame it on her, right? Not like I didn't do my job <laughs> enough. So, but and then, like, can we come over? And he's like, of course. So here we were, poor, planting, and pregnant. You know, three kids, pregnant wife, and we needed. We were alone. We needed someone to open up their lives and homes to us and practice hospitality with us to get us through that rough time. And that happened. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of the church. So as we go into God's word to talk about hospitality, here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to just give you the law on hospitality where the Bible says you should pursue it, you should practice it, you should, you should, you should. There are great verses and they're true, but I don't think that's going to really get us to where God wants us to be. I'm going to talk about the motivation, the heart of hospitality. I'm going to talk about with you today how the gospel how the person and work of Jesus Christ gives us the motivation to really live lives of hospitality. So we're going to look at three verses in the book of Ephesians to really flesh this out. Okay, the first one's on the screen right now. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, where it says this, and Paul is telling the Ephesian church, he's setting up this whole idea of remember where you were and where you are now. He does it a number of times in this book, and it's, it's fantastic when he does this because it just drives our love for Jesus deeper. So he says this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, remember at that time, at that time before you knew Jesus, at that time before Jesus saved you, remember at that time that you were separated from Christ, that you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Five terrible descriptions of a person. Who wants to be described that way? Separated, alienated, strangers, no hope, without God. Does that sound like a full, joyful life? No way. But here's the truth. Our sin 
causes that. Because of our sin, we are strangers to God's family. This is what sin produces. This is you and me without Jesus. This is you and me without Jesus. And this is the reality that is felt by people all around us who are living isolated lives, who are living disconnected lives, who are living crisis-filled lives. Some of you are feeling like this today to one degree or another. I know it. Tragedy strikes and you have nowhere to go. I get calls all the time of, of parents just in tears and just feeling so broken because life has come in and just squeezed in around them. And they fear what's going to happen to them and their children. They are feeling the isolation that life could have. They are feeling the lack of hope. But here's the great encouragement. The great encouragement is this. God loves the stranger. God loves those who are disconnected. God loves those who are feeling just so unwelcomed, who, are, who have no hope. God loves you. And God loves me. We see this all the way back to the beginning of God's people. In the, in the book of Deuteronomy, it says, He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. And he loves the sojourner, these least of these, these vulnerable people. He gives them food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. This verse in Deuteronomy reflects what we just read in Ephesians, right? Because Paul says, remember at that time, before Jesus, this is what you were. God said to his people, Israel, you should love these people, these sojourners, these widows, these orphans, because remember at that time you were once just like that, and I have brought you out. As we read and are reminded of these great passages like this in the Old Testament. We need to remember one big thing, that the law always points to the cross. Always points to the cross. When you read your Bibles, this whole front two-thirds of the Bible is pointing right to Jesus. And this back third of the Bible is pointing right back to Jesus. That's how this Bible is put together. That's the gift of God's word. And because the law points to the cross, that's what Paul does in verse 13 of Ephesians. Look at this next verse. So verse 12, you know, we were strangers because of our sin, but now Jesus brings us near. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen? We have been brought near. You see, what the law did temporarily, all the sacrificial systems, all those structures set up, Jesus did permanently. He did permanently. Where we sang the song, you know, love ran red. Jesus did that permanently. Jesus' blood is the only thing that removes that sin barrier. Jesus' blood is the only thing that can replace your lack of hope, your separation to being connected and being filled with hope and having God in your life. 
And here's the truth of this. We needed somebody outside of us to reach out to us and bring us near. We can't save ourselves. Jesus came out of love, down from heaven, lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died to reach out to us and to bring us near. And as we now, as the people of God, look around and see those around us who are struggling, who are disconnected, who have no hope, they need someone to reach out to them and bring them near, just like Jesus did to each of you. This is the church in action. People in need, the vulnerable, need to be brought in. And not just, not just brought into a building, but brought into your life. But brought into your life to give them a place to belong so they can, so they can believe. People need belonging in their life. And that sets up the stage, that opens the doors to say, you know what, man, this Christianity thing, Maybe, this, maybe there's really something to this. You're living a life that I don't see every day. Why do you do this? And we get to say, you know why we do this? Because of what Jesus did for us. And I'm just living a life like my king lives. So now, here's a glorious thing. You know, our sin kept us separated. Jesus brought us near. And then down in verse 19 in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, so then... You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Jesus' blood has brought us near. It broke down the sin barrier. And now we are members of God's family because of Jesus. The Son shares his family position with us, with the Father. And our identity now through Christ, has totally changed. Remember those really five bad descriptors? You know, we were separated, we were alienated, no hope without God. Now, we're fellow citizens. Now we have hope. Now we have God in us through the Holy Spirit. Now we are members of God's family. We're not strangers anymore. And we're not just friends, but we are, in fact, family. That's a powerful, powerful thing of what hospitality does. Here's the deal. Biblical hospitality turns strangers into family. That's what biblical hospitality does. We live in a spiritual house in a kingdom. And guess who the king is? The king's our dad. Isn't that awesome? The king is our dad because of Jesus. We are now a co-heir with Christ. Here's the big idea. When you put all this together about why we live biblical hospitality, why we should live biblical hospitality is this, because what God does to us, God desires to do through us. What God does to us, he desires to do through us. We have been blessed to be a blessing especially to the lost, to the hurting, to the disconnected, to the vulnerable. We are to be a hospitable people because we have a hospitable God. Amen?
And as we live this way, opening up our hearts and lives and homes to the, to the stranger and welcoming them to the orphan, to the widow, to the fatherless, we are doing three really important things that this world needs. We are rehearsing the gospel. We're playing it out before them, proclaiming the good news of what God has done to us and through us and how we live our lives. We match our words of our faith with our deeds, and the world needs to see that. We are also reflecting the heart of a God to a hurting world. This is where the world sees the people of God more for what we are for than what we are against. And our world needs to see the people of God that way. And this is how we also redeem those who are disconnected and hurting, by providing place and providing space for lost and hurting people to belong and to heal. And I know that is why many of you are in these seats today. Because you need a place to belong and you need a place to heal. And I'm so glad you're here hearing this. Because this is dripping with hope for you. So, one last thing I want to talk about because, uh, you know, I've been a pastor a long time and preached a, a good bit and I don't think I'd do my job if it didn't make you a little uncomfortable. I think pastors should make you a little uncomfortable. So, I, I want to I just put some things out there that, that might be a barrier for you in really living this way. And I'm doing this because I want to let the Holy Spirit speak to you and I want to give you a chance to repent of some things in your life so you could fully live this life that God has prepared you for, okay? So here's some barriers to hospitality. Really, really pray through these. The first barrier is the barrier of self. Is the barrier of self. It's just you, okay? Uh, there, there's a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 15, which I love dearly, and it says this about Jesus, that he died for all, that those who live, meaning those who are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Do you know what this verse teaches us? This verse teaches us that Jesus died so we wouldn't be selfish anymore. That's what this verse says. So we would no longer live for ourselves. That's the definition of being selfish. But through Jesus, we can be selfless. Our own selves, you know, we, we just say, like, oh, man, that just sounds hard. I just don't want to do that. You know, if we're all being honest, then, you know what? I really don't want to live this way with other people because I just don't want to. And when you live for yourself, you can't live for God. Wrapped up into this part two, I think, applies to those of you in the room who maybe have not surrendered your life to Jesus yet. You're still living for yourself. I pray that you are getting a glimpse of our great, loving, compassionate God who died for you so you can live for him and he will give you the life that you really have always wanted. The second barrier, other than self, is this, is this barrier of margin, which is a plague in our society today. Okay? It really is. Do you typically feel overcommitted? Is that something that you kind of struggle with every day? Uh, do you feel like you're too busy? 
You know, do, you, do you feel like you're maybe, gosh, you know what, if I'm honest, I'm living beyond my means. There's more month than money in the bank, right? You, 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 you have not allowed space in your life. You know, when you look at a book, any book, right, there's, there's white space always around the edges of the book. There's a margin there. There's room. You could put notes in, you know, as you, as you read. Same thing with our lives. We are, we are to have margin in our lives, space in our lives. So when the opportunity comes to give, we have space to give. There's margin financially. When there's an opportunity to serve, we have space in our lives. There's a margin with our time, with our energy, okay? There's a margin there. Do you live a mar- you know, life with margin or do you have a marginless life? If you have a marginless life, that is going to keep you from living the life that God wants you to live through hospitality. So I encourage you, cut back, simplify. You know, I, I was talking to, to Pastor Jacob last week, and, you know, because they've been doing all these, they're moving to do this missionary thing, and, you know, they're selling all their stuff, and he was telling me how great it feels to not have so much stuff. More and more margins getting built in his life. It's a good thing. It's a God-honoring thing. Here's the third barrier. The third barrier is this barrier of prejudice. It's barrier of prejudice. Whether it's racial, which is obviously a big deal in our society. Whether it's socioeconomic, whether it's, you know, you see someone who's maybe living in poverty and you just know why they're that way and why, don't, why they don't get out. Okay? And that critical judgmental spirit bubbles up in you. You know, you, and you criticize people's choices. And all, all that is some type of prejudice coming out of you, okay? And when those things begin to bubble up and you're feeling that, man, Lord, help me. Help me be humble. Help me understand the inherent value that everybody has because everyone's created in your image. Help me to remember where you have brought me from. Remember at that, help me remember the time when I was separated and I was disconnected and I was a stranger and I was a mess. But you gave me Jesus. Okay? The the last barrier is this view of our home. Okay? And I think this is something that I I think maybe the men in the room might feel a little bit more than the women, but I don't know. We We can debate that. But... I think we have three main views of our home. I think our first view of our home is this castle mentality where we're going to protect our stuff, right? We're going to protect our stuff. My home is my castle or my home is my fortress. I'm going to protect my people that live here. The big bad world's not going to come in here, all right? So castle, fortress, or maybe this, this haven. You know, I, I work really hard. Man, I... I am busting it, you know, 60-plus hours a week. And when I come home, I want to just rest. I don't want anyone to bother me. I want to sit in my chair, sip my lemonade, watch my show. It's my haven. I don't want anyone to come in and mess up my haven because it's mine. Let me tell you something. As a Christian, you don't own anything. As a Christian, nothing is yours. Because the Bible that I read says you were bought with a price. The Bible that I read says our God is the God that has all the silver and the gold in the world. 
The, the cattle in a thousand hills is all his. Everything is God's. We own nothing. This is why the word steward is in the Bible so much. We are to steward the things that God gives us because they're his. We're just taking care for a while. So you need, to, you need to realize that you don't own anything. It's all God's. So use it how, you, how he wants you to use it, not how you want to use it. But I'll say this too. You know, this whole idea of castle, fortress, haven, those are there's good things in that. I mean, you should want to protect your family and have your home be a place of rest. And Those are good, God-honoring things. So here's, my, here's my, my challenge with that. There are people all around you. There are people all around you that don't have anybody protecting them. There are people all around you who never can feel like they can rest because they, they don't feel safe. And they don't know where they're laying their head down that night or where food's coming from tomorrow. All around us. Do you think, for a little bit at least, that your home could be that for someone who needs it? that you could give them the protection that they need, that you could give them the rest that they just can't seem to find anywhere. Don't you think that God would want you to use your home that he gave you for someone in need like that to help them get on their feet and have some people cheerleading them and being around them? I think he wants us to do that. You see, your only hope, my only hope, in overcoming these barriers, self, margin, prejudice, the view of our home, our stuff, the only hope in overcoming these is to see what the Father did for you and me. And to then repent of, of the things that we hold on to these barriers that we hold on to, and realize that through the Holy Spirit in us that we have the power to do this for others, to reach out and to bring them near. The Father loves the stranger. The Father loves the sojourner. The Father loves the alien. The Father loves the enemy. The Father loves you and me so much that he sent his own son to shed his own blood to give his life so we could be brought near. So we could join the kingdom and we could belong in a family. This is why we are to live hospitality. This is why. In, in, in just a moment, um, we're going to have people come forward, be available to, to pray with you at the end of the service. A couple, couple thoughts here. I need to ask some of you, are you a part of God's family? Have you put your faith and your trust and your hope in Jesus Christ? Do you recognize that your sin has separated you from Jesus? Do you realize now that because of love, because of compassion on you, and because of our hospitable God, that Jesus came to us? And shed his blood on the cross for us to be brought near. I believe 
that if that describes you today, I believe that you are here because God is reaching out to you to bring you near today. And if that is you, please come forward and pray with a member of the prayer team at the end of the service today. And receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and be connected to his family and more deeply to this family. And if you are a part of God's family, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, church, because of what God has done for you, you now have the opportunity and the privilege to do that for others. Hospitality, whether you know it or not, I hope you know it now, is a part of your identity. Because we have a hospitable God and he makes a hospitable people. You just need to live it out now. And as you welcome the stranger, remember you are in fact serving Jesus himself. And you can do something. Hey, I understand there's some things in life that happen that I can't, I can't bring anybody in right now. But you know what? I can pray. I can support. I can have coffee with someone a couple times a week. I can get to know their names. You can, I, you can still open up your life. You can do something. You can support someone who's doing it. Everybody has a role. Everybody has a place at the table. Okay? Be encouraged with that. I'm going to pray now. And I'm going to invite the prayer team to come up and and as we end this service, I encourage you to respond in faith to Jesus. Repent of your sin. Come to him. Ask for, for, uh, for power to live this way. Be reminded that what Jesus did on the cross really provides everything we need to live this life for him. Prayer team, come forward and let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for being a hospitable God that saw us in our mess and didn't turn away from us. But Lord, you came and you lived a life that we couldn't live and died a death that we should have died, that we may be brought near and made a part of your family. Lord, I pray for those today who need to turn to you in faith, that they would in fact surrender their life to you because of the cross and the love that was shown. And Lord, for those of us today that need to throw off barriers that prevent us from fully living lives to love those in need around us, Lord, that we repent of that and we thank you for being a God who reached out and that we leave here changed. Lord, thank you. We pray all this and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please come forward. Don't leave without being prayed for today, all right? Thank you, guys. God bless you.